come in our series on the Ten Commandments, we come to the third commandment, which I trust not many of you have come and thought, this is going to be my easiest commandment so far. I don't tend to curse the name of the Lord when I stub my toe. I don't tend to do that. When it rains and I'm walking with no umbrella, I don't shout, Jesus Christ. So church should be light lifting for me this morning. I've already conformed, and I don't break the third commandment. If the third commandment, and as by way of introduction, some of you are wondering probably what the third commandment even is. To key you in on those illustrations, it's don't take the Lord's name in vain. I trust that we can look beyond this thought of it's not just if we do this one symptom of taking the Lord's name in vain. If we have this one thing that is our Achilles heel, that is I tend to swear or say, oh my God, at some point, that we'd recognize we are a far, far cry from understanding what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. If we have boiled it down through catechism, to not swearing. It is far more important than that. This commandment goes so far as to build upon the other two commandments in a way that intensifies the internal sincerity of it all. That is, consider with the first commandment so far as we have considered the worshiping of false gods. First commandment, have no other gods before me. So you think, I, right now, in this instance, I would go to the right church. External conformity. I can externally conform to the standard of the first commandment and go to the right church. Worship the right God. Commandment number two. Don't have any graven images before me. That you bow down to them, you pray to them, you ask for them to deliver you. Okay, great. The church that worships the one true God worships, it in a, worships Him in a right manner. Check. There's no graven images there at that local church. So conformity to commandment one and commandment two, I'm there. But consider commandment number three. Don't do those things in vain. You can go to the right church, they can say the right things, have the right doctrine, and take down all the idols of worship. And you can be led to worship the one true God of Holy Scripture in the right manner, yet only you can determine sincerity. I can't determine that for you. You can't determine that for me. The internal sincerity of the third commandment comes to bear upon you. In talking with a couple one time, I was in discussion about some personal matters within their relationship, and the husband had spoken in a way that said that he did not do those things, and he was was repentant, he was sorry for his actions. And there we are. How can I confirm or deny that? You can come and say, I'm sincere in my worship. How can I confirm or deny that? 
I'm not taking the Lord's name in vain in my life. Only you before the face of God, who in the book of Revelation searches mind and spirit, is he who knows. Our sincerity is exposed before the face of God. This truly is a deeply internal commandment that we not take his name in vain. I want to draw your attention to the text as you read it carefully with me as we look at the intensely internal element here of the commandment before the face of the Lord. Carefully read this text with me as you look there in Exodus 20. And I'll read verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, the very first element that we must wrestle with within this commandment is what is or who is the Lord, right? What is his name? Because again, I think when we come to this third commandment, we'll skip ahead and we'll consider the action of violating the divine name. How it is we might take it in vain or how we must not take it in vain. And again, we run to a category of swearing. Come back before the action of the commandment and come back to discerning what is the Lord's name. How is it that I might know it? In order that I might rightly understand the name of the Lord, therefore I rightly understand who he is, and then the consequence is I hold it reverently. I can't skip ahead and say it's simply a three-letter word, G-O-D. And as long as I get to the consequence of the commandment and I don't misuse it, I am therefore rightly upholding the commandment. That's not how it works. In order to not take the Lord's name in vain, we must first... Know his name. Who is it that we call upon? That's why I said earlier through the catechism, our faith is not opposite of reason. It doesn't just violate all reasonableness. Did you see in the catechism we were acknowledging, resting, trusting? These are categories of knowing the God of Holy Scripture. Knowing his name, knowing who he is, that we might then finally acknowledge it rightly. We must know him. We must know who his name is that we might not then take it in vain. So there's much more on the first side of the commandment before we jump to the violation of its action. Consider with me how we might know the name of the Lord. Who is it that we worship? What is his name that we might reverence him? There are three ways in which I want to speak this morning. There might be others. There are three ways in which I want to explain to us this morning how we might know the name of the Lord, that we might then honor Him and reverently uphold the name of our God that goes far beyond swearing. There are three ways. The very first way in which we might know the name of the Lord, that we might honor it rightly. Number one, we know God's name through His essence. We know the name of God. It is revealed through his essence. What do I mean? Turn with me back in the book of Exodus to Exodus chapter 3. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. 
that we might recognize the revelation of God's name according to his essence. If you're there in, uh, did I say revelation? I meant Exodus, Exodus 3. So here in, at the beginning of Exodus, there into chapter 2 and then chapter 3, we have a botched attempt of Moses to deliver Israel. Do you remember that? There in the desert place, uh, there is Moses seeing someone uh, go after an Israelite. Uh, Moses steps in, tries to perform a deliverance act, save a fellow Israelite, and how well did that work out? Not very good. So we see set up through Exodus, there is a need for a deliverer to come and deliver Israel. So we have this little situation or this little episode with Moses. In his failed attempt to deliver Israel, we're going to see an absolute deliverance of Israel by God. So this is the way that God is coming to Moses here about deliverance. And we know the name of the Lord here as he's revealed to Moses and to us according to his essence. Look in verse 13 of chapter 3. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. We know the name of the Lord. What is your name? If I am to rightly grasp who you are and declare who you are to someone else, what is your name? And he says, I am is my name. This is the divine essence of who God is. We know his name by his essence. Maybe you have wrestled with what does I am mean? When he says, I am who I am, he is declaring himself to Moses as he who is self-existent, self-determining, and sovereign. This is where we're just beginning to shape our minds around, have our minds shape around who God's name is. Who is he in his name? It is shaped first. When I say, what is your name? That I might prize it rightly and reverence. I am who I am. I am self-determining, self-existing, and I am absolutely sovereign. This is critical to the function of God as Redeemer, isn't it? That he is absolutely sovereign. That he can perform the work of redemption because he is self-determining. His will will prevail. This is critical that we honor him because we know who he is. He is absolutely sovereign. This will guarantee, not what Moses tried to do, this will guarantee the actual deliverance of Israel as his people. He is self-determining, self-existing, absolutely sovereign. That's what it means. Go tell them that. Look at the work of redemption, how this guarantees the work of redemption according to the plot. Look in verse 7, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. Do you see the, now, we don't know how this is going to work. How, how is it that we know that you will be able? What is your name? I am. I will deliver them. 
I am self-determining, self-existent, and absolutely sovereign. So it continues out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites. Again, how do we know you can do this? What is your name? I am. It's, it, it's not, I might be able to get them to the land of the Canaanites. Hey, Moses, let's try it. What is your name? I am. Tell them that. I will deliver them and take them to a good land. Look at how it secures the plan of redemption. Verse 9, And now behold, the cry of my people, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt. He said, but I will be with you. Self-determining, self-existing, and absolutely sovereign. Not who are you, but who am I? I will be with you. And this will guarantee your success. What is your name? So he said, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Westminster, the Westminster Confession Larger Catechism says this about the divine name I am. I am reveals that he governs all creatures, all actions, and all things from the greatest to the least. This is opening a door to us to be able to grasp what it means then to turn around and take this name that is being declared to us in vain. Do you see, it goes far beyond. Oh my God. Yet indeed, that is a symptom of vanity, but it goes far beyond that. We know the name of the Lord, who he is, according to his divine essence. He is self-existing, self-determining, absolutely sovereign. In his essence. Number two, the second way in which we know the name of the Lord, that we might prize him, we might reverence it, and we might not take it in vain, is that God's name is revealed throughout Scripture through his works. God's name is revealed through his works. There are two primary works that allow us to know the name of God, to rightly grasp who his name is as God. The first work is that of creation. Turn to Psalm 8, if you will. I want to show you how this functions. Psalm 8. If you'd turn with me there to look, indeed, how it is that we might know the name of God. We know his name through his essence, and secondly, through his works. We know his name through creation. Psalm 8. 
is a celebration of creation and providence. And this is how the people of God come to know his name. Psalm 8 in this celebration, uh, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Have you read that psalm before? You probably have heard it read, or maybe you've read it or heard it in worship. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Have you stopped to think, what does that mean? Paused to contemplate? Does that mean that everybody in the earth is rightly prizing the name of the Lord upon their lips? How majestic is your name throughout all the earth? Everybody loves your name. That clearly is not what the psalm is declaring. We know that not to be the case. So then we must wrestle with how is it that God's name is majestic throughout all of the earth? Look at the psalm. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. You see, the name of God is not an empty title here. It isn't, oh, your name, this idea of God is magnificent upon everybody's mouth everywhere. Rather, the name of God is majestically revealed through creation and providence. When I consider the glory of your name, I see it everywhere in creation. I see this beautiful artificer who formed the worlds with a word of his mouth who painted the beauty that we are able to gaze upon and celebrate, experience, and enjoy. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. It isn't an empty title in isolation that you can use in vanity or not. It is a magnificent name that is revealed through his work of creation and providence. What is man that you care for him? When we see the beauty of creation and we stand in its vastness and then we're made small, who are we that you would think of us such a majestic God, yet you do care for man? He provides. He causes the rain to fall on both the just and the unjust. He cares for all that he has created through providence and actively strengthening and growing his people. God's name is known through the work of creation and providence. Yet, how do we unlawfully receive his name? Romans 1. They look upon creation and they recognize, indeed, there is an artificer behind all of this. There is a God who causes all of this. And then what do they do with it? They blaspheme his name. They set up for themselves idols to worship the creature rather than the creator. And the people of God are reminded yet again through the law, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth, that his name would be reverenced 
not taken in vain, not looking upon his creation and standing in awe without giving glory to his name that is due him. But the people of God recognize the majesty of his name revealed in creation and in providence. I trust that you celebrate the providence of God in your life every day, that it is active. He is not sleeping, nor does he slumber. He is actively clothing you, caring for you, sustaining you, strengthening you every single day. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name throughout all of the earth. The second work that we see the name of God revealed is the work of redemption. Go back to Exodus 20 as we look as he approaches Israel with the covenant and we see that God's name is revealed through his works, that of creation and that of redemption. In Exodus 20, this is how God approaches Israel here, beginning with verse 1, and I'll just read verse 1 and 2. God's name is revealed through his work of redemption. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he continues within commandments, right? And we're studying all ten of them, that God has come in the gospel and declared his favor. I am your God and you are my people and here are my commands. So really what we have here in the Ten Commandments, as we would understand the name of the Lord rightly and not treat it with vanity, we would recognize his name as Redeemer. There are two wills here expressed in the Ten Commandments. There is a will that is moral in the Ten Commandments, right? So you have a moral will being revealed in the Ten Commandments. This is who God is. This is how he's created the world. And this is how he desires it to function. In the moral will of God expressed in the Ten Commandments. This comes by commands and demands. This is my standard of living for the people of God. And then there is a saving will expressed here that comes by the gospel. I am the Lord, your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. This here is expressed of how we come to know God according to his work of redemption is only in the gospel. We don't know him to be the God of redemption according to law. We know him to be the God of redemption according to the gospel. The law of God drives with commands and precepts. The gospel pronounces favor. We know him to be a God of judgment in law. We know him to be a God of mercy in gospel. God's name is known through his works. We come to know him. He who is I am in essence as creator as we gaze upon all that he has made. He alone is not created. He is creator God for his name is manifest through that which he has made. And then we know him as Redeemer through divine proclamation of the gospel. This is his saving will made known through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know him this morning. His name, who you are not to take in vain, is the Redeemer. He has taken you by sheer grace out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage. He has delivered you to a good land. 
and you know him to be your redeemer. This is how you have come to know the name of the Lord, that you might not take it in vain, according to his essence and according to his works, that of creation and redemption. A third portion that essence and works will then lead us to is God's name is revealed, number three, through his word. His name is revealed through his word. You see that right here in Exodus 20, yet again in verse 1 that we have read each week and recognizing God who speaks. Verse 1, and God spoke all these words, saying. So we have that he spoke, he spoke words, and this is what those words said. So it is right here that the word of God again, yet again, you know his name through his word. Not by committee, not by oversight, not by a vote, up, down, or indifferent. You know him as he has spoken in his word that you have then received. You know the name of the Lord through the written word. Those possessing his word, Calvin warns. I think it's Todd prayed this morning considering what if there were no copies of Holy Scripture? Again, we looked at this last week that we can come and we can sit and we can hear and we can be dull and then we can be excited and we think... Are you prizing the written word? When I just say, turn in your Bibles, and everyone can go and turn there, are we rightly prizing the access to the written word of God, which is a way in which we come to know the name of the Lord our God, that we might call upon him, that we might worship him rightly, that we might be sustained in his grace? Do you prize the written word of the Lord? Calvin warns to those who possess the word. Quote, we should not rashly or perversely abuse his holy word. But as they bear the dignity of his name and printed upon them, they should ever be honored and prized among us. Did you see that? But as they bear the dignity of his name, They ought to be honored and prized among us. Again, we can come to church. I can speak. You can receive. You can meditate or not meditate. The sincerity of the third commandment is between you and the Lord. Do you rightly and sincerely prize the written word of the Lord? Only you know that before the face of God. Or do you treat his word with vanity? Neglectfulness, lack of care, concern. The Westminster Confession, you know how they apply this? To the church, the people of God? By sitting through a sermon and daydreaming about something else. That's how the catechism applies it. Awesome, that works for me. The people of God, to take the Lord's name in vain, do so when they gather at the place of worship. The dignity of God's name is being proclaimed. They sit in conformity to the law. And they daydream about their cattle and their land.
Maybe you're not worried about your cattle at the moment. That is an active vanity to the proclamation of the name of the Lord whose name is imprinted upon every page, every precept, every statement of gospel and law. And we're like, I am needing some lunch. Pray that you would give due honor to the attention of the word as is a way in which the people of God lack dignity for the divine name. So the question is then, how can we, again, if we are to follow Calvin, how can we take it rashly, perversely, or abuse? I was thinking of three things, of how then we would consider taking the, the word of the Lord with rashness or perverseness, and that is, number one, consider personal ambition. Personal ambition. We would gather with the people of God, we would use the word of the Lord, and we would achieve some sort of rank among them. Personal ambition is a way in which we can tend, whether it be in a small group Bible study, whether it be here in the preached word, whether it be in other little small pockets of discipleship, but to use the word of the Lord as a leverage to gain access to someone or to lord over them. This is a way to perversely use and abuse the word of the Lord. Second one, consider personal advancement. Again, along the same lines, that we would be honored among the people of God. We would perhaps be distinguished among them as one who can teach, one who can lead, one who can read the written word of the Lord. Therefore, it would come to our advantage through personal advancement to use perversely from the heart the word of the Lord. A third one is amusement. Amusement. Using the word of the Lord in a joking manner. I think when I was thinking of an illustration for this, a way to perversely use and abuse the written word of the Lord that bears the name of God upon every page, I thought about amusement. When we were in high school, uh, I was in a Christian school in high school, and we had to come up with a class verse. So I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but you have to kind of come up with some way to, uh, uh, you know, Mark your class by something spiritual, right? You have to pretend that you all care and show the faculty at some level that you do. And so you kind of think, what could be a cool verse for us? And there was, I should have looked it up before I got here, I guess, there was a, um, uh, there was a word in the Psalms there that spoke about how, and probably many of you could quote it, it is uh, failing me at the moment, but we are um, wiser. When I consider my teachers, I am wiser than they. Do you, do you, do you remember that? Um, I perhaps should have looked it up before I introduced it, but I'm not a walking biblical encyclopedia. Um, it was, when I consider the, my teachers, I am, I am wiser than they. So again, we thought that, that's a great uh, way to apply who our class is as we go through the halls of the Christian school, and then they'll be published in our yearbook and everything, and, and that'll be great. Yet Calvin would warn, even to a little 15-year-old, I don't know, by liberty what's allowed to describe him, so I'll just say a, a bad 15-year-old. Calvin would also warn him. There is no amusement 
and using the divine name or using the text of Holy Scripture in an irreverent manner, even if you're only 15. They bear the dignity of his name in every precept and every proclamation. We must resist handling them abusively or perversely. This is obedience for the people of God as we look at the written word. We have come by the written word to know the name of the Lord, to be creator, to be our redeemer, to be self-existing, self-determining, and absolutely sovereign. We ought to watch our 15-year-old mouths that we don't take his name in vain. Next portion under the word of God, whereby we come to know his name, is that living word. The living word that is in the ministry of Jesus Christ. We are given a revelation of the divine name. In John 17, 6, Christ, as the living word, speaks this way about his own ministry of how you right now can rightly prize, adore, and reverence the name of God. Christ says this of his ministry, quote, John 17, 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. This was his ministry. What did he do in manifesting the divine name? Simply say the name of God? No, through his words, his works, his life, and his character, in the face of Christ, we see the fullness of God. Everything that Jesus is, is also all that I am is. This is the blessed doctrine of the Holy Trinity. That Jesus is God. The Son of the living God. That all that God is belongs rightly unto Jesus. And all that Jesus is belongs rightly unto God. So to His Spirit. And Jesus says of His own ministry, I have manifested your name. Again, this is the consistent testimony of the divine name. That it is more than a three-letter word. It comes to mean and stand for all that God is. Is His name. His name is He's all that he is. And this is what Jesus has manifested as we read the Gospels. In the written word, we are seeing the very name of God on display through his character, his works, his teaching of his words, and his sacrifice and his resurrection. We learn of the divine name. He is our creator. He is our God. He is our sustainer. He is our redeemer. And he is coming again as our king. We learn this through the written and living word of God. So much so that Jesus says this in John 14, 9. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. This is the ministry of the living word, Jesus Christ. But in conclusion, then, the second portion is the question. If we recognize his name, in his essence, in his works, and in his word. Together, you're with me. I know that many of your testimonies, I know that you receive this word from Holy Scripture, that you trust and hope in the great I am. He who is self-determining, self-existent, and absolutely sovereign. That is your hiding place. And you rejoice as you go out. Many of you backpack. Many of you go out into the woods. Many of you go for day hikes or day walks, ride bikes, and you rejoice in the goodness of creation. And you recognize it wasn't just here. You recognize your God 
who painted the landscape you're enjoying as your creator. And in that, you know he is sustaining and feeding the plants and the soil, the animals, and he is caring for you as he who provides. You rejoice of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as your Redeemer. So you recognize the divine name in these ways. But the question is then, secondly, how can I or how would I violate the commandment by recognizing it and taking it in vain? What then does it mean for me to take this glorious name in vanity? What does it mean? I think the best way to get a P, uh, to unlock the role of vanity, certainly as I make light of swearing, I don't take it lightly. I trust you don't either. That is a symptom, certainly a manifestation of taking his name in vain. So if it is your habit this hour to say, oh my God, every time something bad happens, don't do that. Okay? So that's my word on swearing. Don't do that. But you won't do that if you rightly prize the divine name. It won't just be a single thing on law that you're not allowed to do. It'll be reversed. You'll prize and rejoice over the divine name, and you won't take it in vain because you understand what it means to take the Lord's name in the first place. Consider a marriage analogy. This is what will help us understand the covenantal context of Israel. So here is God. He delivers Israel. He draws them out. Again, verse 1 and verse 2. I have taken you out, and you are my people out of all of the peoples of the nations. And then these are my words that I speak to you. Here is my moral law for you as you walk before me. Consider the marital ceremony analogous to this of the Ten Commandments ceremony between Israel and God, a husband and wife. A wife comes before, the congreg- uh, before a, a group of people who you have invited. Here is the man, here is the woman, and this woman is coming under this man's leadership and she is taking his... Thank you. Excellent, Dan. <laughs> taking his name. She is taking his name. What we consider here in the taking of the divine name is a mark of identity. You identify as belonging to the divine name. That for you right now is the name that is above every name. The name Jesus Christ. You by your confession as a Christian take upon yourself the divine name. You identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have taken his name. It is to shape your entire life, the divine name. His works, his words, his character, all expressed in the written word. This is your life. Your life is marked by having taken upon you in your confession the divine name. Consider also the covenantal analogy to a husband and wife, it might not mean this any longer. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem statistically to mean this any longer among evangelicals any more than it does people who are irreligious. That this was, do you guys remember, supposed to be for at least a few years? You're supposed to take your husband's name till death do us part? Do you remember that at all? Is that just over with? Statistically speaking, it is. It's not to be among the people of God. We understand our temporal covenants in light of our eternal covenants. And they're mirrored 
after the eternal till death do us part. So it is as a Christian, you're not sometimes under the divine name marked by it and at other times not, nor are you to be divorced from it, but you are bound to God and he to you, fortunately, beyond the grave. Death will not do you part. You are in your life now marked by the divine name. That's what it means to be a Christian, having taken the divine name. Then how then do you violate having taken that name and then using it in vanity? Well, it's quite obvious by now, isn't it? You live absolutely contrary in your heart to the confession of your lips. I'm a Christian. And your heart lacks all sincerity. I'm more driven by my choices of what I watch on my TV by what I think is more fun than submitting it through what coordinates with the divine name. Right? That would be a place of sincerity where I'm filtering the choices that I look at, the choices that I make in doing relationships that I possess, sleeping with people or not. I make these choices based on my identity with the divine name, his words, his character, his teaching, his attributes. I make that connection because I don't want to take his name in vain, lacking all sincerity and making choices over here, not governed by the divine name. That is to take his name in vain. In the heart, we can do it in many different ways. In a total lack of sincerity of our verbal confession. And remember, this commandment isn't to a bunch of necessarily unregenerate individuals. It is written yet again for guidance to the church. Indicating certainly we all Take the Lord's name in vain. Look at the language of the law if we do so quickly in our final comment here. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Have you ever stopped to think, just briefly for a moment, have you ever stopped to think about, uh, we had a discussion yesterday that I think is, is very interesting in the Lord's name in vain. Have you seen your, your, your coinage here for America? Have you ever considered it about the violation of the third commandment? In God we trust. You consider the violation of the third commandment in sincerity? I'm not proposing you take all your coins out today and rub that off by any means. Let it be a word to you because you know what the third commandment means. In God do you trust? You, the people of God. Or do you vainly toss his name about? Right church, right manner of worship a lack of sincerity. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is law and it drives us to the gospel.
for we take his name in vain. Praise be to God who will deliver me from this body of death by the Lord Jesus Christ. That we flee to the gospel. That we pray and confess. That we're strengthened by the name of him who has been raised on our behalf. That we live by the obedience of another. And we continue in the guidance of the law to prize his name in our words, in our actions, and in our character by his grace. For the Lord will not hold guiltless he who takes his name in vain. Let us prize the name that is above every name, the name Jesus Christ. Do you prize his name? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will